I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Want a weekly roundup of the best CBC Radio programming? Subscribe to the CBC Radio 1 newsletter. Get a digest of the week's top stories. Read in-depth articles. Listen to interviews and documentaries. And get the lowdown on upcoming stories from CBC Radio 1 that you need to hear. To subscribe, go to cbc.ca slash radio and look for the subscribe button. The CBC Radio 1 newsletter. Be informed. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me. In this episode, we're featuring an interview with playwright Mary Beth Badian, who wrote Prairie Nurse. If you haven't had a chance yet to check out this nostalgic Canadiana comedy, you can find it on our feed in three bingeable episodes. We hope you enjoyed Prairie Nurse, and if you'd like to help us bring more theatre to the audio drama world, please rate and review us. This will have a huge impact on how many people we can reach. One thing that I'll note is that we have just temporarily two iTunes accounts open while we migrate over to the CBC. So if you review us, please make sure that it's on the one under the arts section, not the performing arts section. That account will disappear in a few weeks' time. So, Chris, you got to speak to Mary Beth Beatty, and what struck you about that conversation? I think what really struck me was when she was talking about race. Prairie Nurse is a funny show. It's very accessible to audiences, but it also touches upon the complexity of race and racism. Uh, The show takes place in 1960s rural Saskatchewan, where the word immigrant was synonymous with explorer or um, adventurer. Newcomers were embraced, yet racism was present but in very subtle ways. Uh, Mary Beth refers to this as microaggressions, which I thought was a great perspective. And when you think about it, there are also a lot of echoes of this in today's world. I think what I really liked about the interview was when Mary Beth talks about how the story is based on her mom. Um, I think we all think our families have interesting stories, but never do we get to see them on stage like she has been able to do for her family. She talks a little bit about her son being able to sit in the audience and her mom coming to the prairies and seeing the show in a bunch of different places that it's played and sitting back and just thinking that this is a chance for her family history to literally play out on stage. Here is my conversation with Mary Beth Badian. So, Mary Beth, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to record Prairie Nurse and for us to be able to launch our season with it. Would you mind just giving us a summary of what the play is about if Mm -hmm. anybody hasn't listened to it yet? Mm -hmm. Prairie Nurse is a comedy set in a rural hospital in a little town called Arborfield, Saskatchewan in 1967. And two nurses arrive from the Philippines to work at this hospital. And chaos ensues because nobody can tell them apart, particularly a lovesick 
star goalie slash lab technician who falls in love with one of them, but also can't tell them apart. The very first page of the script has just one sentence, and it says, this play is dedicated to my mom. Mm -hmm. Why? There wouldn't be a play without my mom. Uh, The play is loosely inspired by my mom's immigration to Canada. She came to Canada in 1967 from rural Philippines to rural Saskatchewan to a little town called Arborfield. And if not for my mom, I wouldn't be here. If not for my mom, that play wouldn't be. If not for my mom, generations of my family wouldn't be here. So um, I dedicate it to her because she's the beginning. How did she react when you told her that you were writing about, in a way, about a part of her life? I knew that there was a rural story in my family. I just didn't know what it was yet. And one of the hints was when my mom had come up to Blythe to see me perform in a play. She stood in the middle of the town of that one main street, which is not unlike many small town main streets across Canada. It's a blink of an eye long, probably one block at most. It has one grocery store that closes at six o'clock, one restaurant. And she stood in the middle of the street and said, this is exactly like Arborfield. So that was the hint. And then I decided that I needed to research the play and I took mum with me to Saskatchewan in 2007. It was her first time back in 40 years. And so from the get-go, she was on board. She just didn't know how explicitly it would be about her to an extent. So what was that like for you, a city girl going to Saskatchewan to see a little bit about the roots and what was going to become really the your breakaway hit? It was... It was really emotional. It really dawned on me, and I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to say that, you know, that's my parents' immigration story has always been a part of our family's narrative, but it really wasn't until landing in Saskatchewan did I really understand the impact of my mother's journey. Like she and all of those caregivers, those healthcare providers who came in the early 60s at the opening of Medicare were pioneers. They didn't know what they were coming for. They answered ads and papers in the Philippines and um, mom didn't know what Saskatchewan was supposed to look like. They all got to the airport in Manila and according to mom, that's when they were shown a film about what Canada may look like. It was mountains and lakes. And (laughs) she thought she was going to some place called North Battleford, arrives in Saskatoon. And she's not even going to where they said that she's supposed to go. She's supposed to go to some Arborfield. What's that? Like nothing. And so arriving in Saskatchewan and seeing my mom react to these places, her isolation and her courage and her bravery really hit me. In, at that time. You mentioned that, and we, we see it in Prairie Nurse as well, that there was already a community mm. w- within the, the area. Can you talk a little bit about very early beginnings of yeah. the Filipino community there? So, but as I said, it was the opening of universal health care, and all of these trained professionals were coming from the Philippines to work in rural areas. And so where mom was stationed, about three hours outside of Saskatoon in this little town called Arborfield, 
Half an hour away is a town called Carrot River, and they have a community hospital. Then 45 minutes away, there's Nipawin, and they have a community hospital. There are community hospitals all across the province, and every one of these hospitals have their two or three Filipino health professionals, mostly nurses, some lab technicians, some x-ray technicians. And they all knew that they existed in the community because the townspeople were like, you should meet these people. And so they were able to call each other. The people in the towns would coordinate for their days off and drive all of them. In mom's case, they would all be driven to Carrot River, this little mm-hmm. cafe. And that's where she met these people. And so it's really spectacular. She has all these amazing pictures of these beautiful, stylish Filipinas in the prairies or in these like cafes and posing beside cars with their little mini skirts in the <laughs> snow. It's really, it, it's just a sensational uh, time. Are there echoes throughout the uh, community now from those early years? How is the Filipino community part of the scene now? I had the opportunity to see a production in Saskatchewan this summer. And part of their outreach, they, they not the director um, and the theater discovered that in Saskatoon, Tagalog is the second most spoken language. You're kidding. By census, this was, really? I think this was determined in 2014 or 2016, that it has surpassed French as the most spoken second language in that city. And that is a legacy of not only the nurses, that's the door that opened, but the waves of immigration that continue to come to Canada started in the 60s with the healthcare providers, then the 70s with the technicians and textile workers, and the 80s, 90s to the 2000s of caregivers, professional caregivers. That was my first experience of prairie nurse really being embraced by a Philip. Filipino community, where it was never intended to be. Like, it was written for a rural audience in southwestern Ontario. <laughs> yeah. So it's really special. Wow. I know it's gone through a huge development process, very long time, to get to where it is. Has your mom seen versions of it? Yes. And how did she react? She has seen every version of it except for Winnipeg. Really? Yeah, so she's seen it in Blythe. Saskatchewan was truly, truly trippy. On opening, somebody made a beeline for my mom and said, my older brother was delivered in Arborfield, Saskatchewan by Dr. Miles. Really? Which is very funny. Either explicitly remembered them from Arborfield. So lots of Arborfield people came Mm -hmm. um, multiple times. Uh, But then they would get messages. Oh my gosh, I really remember your mom. It was February 1967. She or was it the other one, really took care of me. I had a toothache in Carrot River. I asked my mom, and my mom is, you know, dry. She says, A, I arrived in November. B, I didn't work in Carrot River. It was Milia Stoya. And (laughs) uh, C, why would I remember a toothache? So the thesis of the play is existing 50 years after the fact. That's why. They still can't tell them apart. I think there is so much love within this play, Uh 
But at the same time, what really I found made it so relevant to today is it does touch upon racism, but not racism that's in in your face racism, Mm. but a lot of the racism that I think we have today where it's much more subtle and Mm -hmm. much more um, sort of under the radar. Yeah. Was that a conscious decision? Was that something that you wanted to explore in this? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of writers will tell you that writing comedy is way harder than writing drama. And I certainly found that in this. But I also found it to be necessary to kind of make a commentary on, frankly, things that I experience. It was a place for me to park things that were well-meaning gestures or comments, but are really microaggressions. So absolutely, it's intentional. I also had to approach it from a lens that the things that my mom wouldn't perceive as racist or offensive are things that I, 40 years later, have the privilege of seeing as racist and offensive. And so when we can shift the lens to a time that was in our past, it it kind of that, you know, the setting of the play, the time of the play allows the space to kind of you know, explore where we've come from and how far we've come and how far we we just haven't come. There are things in the play that just tickle me because they, they are places that I, I know exactly what was happening when I wrote it because I, you know, I needed to park it. Like the the part where they talk about, a Penny and Pring talks about Am I doing any spoilers here? Would that be awful? Repenny and Pring talk about a Canadian and a Filipino potentially falling in love. And Penny says, it's irresponsible. Their poor children will be so ugly. They'll They'll be giants with enormous feet and mismatched eyes. I know I wrote that in 2011 when I was pregnant out to here with my kid. And everybody was saying to me, you're so lucky you're going to have a beautiful mixed race child. And it was infuriating because, you know, it's well-meaning. And this is coming from both sides. Like my family, uh, my husband's family, strangers stopping me in the street, hairdressers saying that mixed race babies are the most beautiful babies. They're so cute. Really? It was through the roof. So that's why I wrote that line. No shade to my own kid, who's adorable, but of course, <laughs> um, it's uh, it, it's really liberating to be able to mm-hmm. park it somewhere in another time and to kind of flip the lens. Yeah, well, that's what I loved about the piece is you see everyone making assumptions, and it's coming from a good place, but there's still assumptions. Yeah. So Prairie Nurse is very much written as a British bedroom farce. It has that feel to it. Why did you choose that form as opposed to another? I thought about this a lot. And the the reason is because the circumstance dictated the form. That theatre has a very rich tradition of mistaken identity. And here it was, like clear and present and palpable and very much alive and just an opportunity to take that tradition, take that trope and interpret it in a way that I think that the situation dictated that. And I remember writing that first scene and just 
I'm sure fellow playwrights will say this, you know, getting down to it and just writing the thing can be the hardest thing. And how do you just crack that nut open? And I told myself, I'm just going to write the most ridiculous thing. I'm just going to write it. And I remember writing that first scene and just killing myself laughing because it was so ridiculous mm-hmm. and funny yeah. to me. I don't know if it was going to be funny to anyone else, but, and it was an opportunity for me to process what I also experienced being this urban gal from Toronto going to Saskatchewan for the first time and learning about where my mom had spent her first two years. So I remember Mm -hmm. visiting the families of Mary and Lucier and going to their house and talking with her son and her granddaughter comes through the room with a rifle. And my face was in shock. She's 12, I think 12 or 14. And they're laughing at me because they're like, of course, you're from Toronto. That is the safest gun holder you'll ever know. They all go through rifle training. Like they, I'm the joke. Yeah. And so that first scene, it was an opportunity for me to just kind of plant all of those things. I love even just the name. It's Prairie Nurse, not Prairie Nurses. singular. Yeah. (laughs) And and I think that speaks to the very subtle things that really seem very small when you just think of it. But Mm. when you give it a bit more time, Mm. there's so much more weight to it all. Yeah. What are some of the parallels that you see between your mom's life in the 60s -hmm. and your life today? Hmm. Parallels. I don't know. I've not ever thought of it that way. I don't see a lot of parallels. I see a lot of contrast. I see a lot of... The thing I think about the most is that my mom and everybody like her, my mom, in the late 60s didn't have a choice. As I said, she had to support her family. The best way that she was going to do that was either as a nurse or as a teacher. One day I really asked her, like, if you had a choice, what would you have wanted to be? And she said she wanted to be a chemist. But that Mm. was not an option. And I think about me having the privilege to talk to you about this play, me having the choice to write that story is what my mom earned for me. My mom sacrificed, did not have choice, and it's the quintessential immigration story. She came here, she sacrificed so I could have choice. Yeah. That's what I have been reflecting on a lot this year. Yeah, it's such a universal story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The echoes of A Comedy of Error mm-hmm. is there. You can see it. And I'm wondering, why did you add that rich level to it? What was part of the thinking behind the writing process for that? Certainly when I think about Mistaken Identity, Comedy of Errors is absolutely the one I think about. It makes me think of the very first time I saw it in Dream in High Park in like probably 1992. But mostly the Mistaken Identity thing is real life. That, that is drawn from experiences of myself and all my Pinai and Pinix and Pinoy friends, first generation or second generation, who are always getting mistaken for each other, even if we're not from the same diaspora. You know, we've been mistaken for people from different Asian countries of varying heights and varying ages and varying body shapes. So it was really a place to 
to put all of that, to process that frustration, because it's ridiculous. I think that if anything, it's really lovely to hear that people see echoes of the tradition of our theater in the play. Now, you're not just a playwright, but you're also a very accomplished actor. Actually, I encourage everyone to go into our archives and we have a Play Me Mono episode uh, which features work by the playwright Keith Barker and you perform the monologue in that and you have a very long CV as an actor. Did you make a transition from being an actor into a playwright or were you always a playwright? What a great question. I became a playwright not unlike many folks or friends that were people of color or or just anyone who may identify as other. I became a playwright because there were no opportunities for me, nor did I see representation in the canon at the time. And what I would say is that I identify as a theater maker in that myself as many of us are. We're hustling on all sorts of fronts when it comes to theater. But I would say this year was the first time I had the opportunity to reflect and say, oh my gosh, I remember about 12 years ago asking a friend, oh, it was more than 12 years ago, when can you call yourself a playwright? When do I get to call myself a playwright? Because it isn't a merit-based profession, right? Like nobody gives you a certificate. Well, technically maybe they can, but nobody gives you a badge and says, welcome, you're a playwright. So this year was the first time that I was like, oh, I'm the thing that I wanted to be. That is really trippy. So these days I say I am a theater maker, mostly playwright, sometimes actor, all the time curious and creating, but yeah, it's weird. I think the story of Prairie Nurse is incredibly timely right now, even though it's a story about the 60s. And as an immigration story, there's an incredible amount of love and the community is embracing these two nurses Mm -hmm. as they enter into this world. But then I flip around and look at today's world and and the world that we live in with Trump and with a lot of the very negative portrayals of immigration and immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, what are the parallels between the two? Mm -hmm. How did we go so backwards from a time that was quite far away? Prairie Nurse is intentionally set in a time when Canada really, 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 really needed them. And the communities from My mom's description and people of her generation only talk about how much they were welcomed and loved. And this is in addition to the way that they came. My mom came at a time where all she had to do was write one part of a five-part nursing exam, and she was Canadian. She could sponsor anyone that she wanted to, including my father, her fiance, she is responsible for the immigration of her brothers and sisters, my grandmother, my father, my father's brothers and sisters. Like This was by no stretch of an imagination that Canada at the time saw their value. And the legacy of that is, like, let's be real, if you have ever had health care in Canada, 
or North America for that matter, nine times out of 10, you have encountered someone who's Filipino in the healthcare system. They take care of us. There's a reason for that. So by looking at that time of welcome, I think that it is a reminder that once upon a time, we opened the doors, we were welcoming, we needed them. And someone, someone had asked me, like, is it, is it timely? Like, did I write it because it's timely? Like, no, I wrote it in 2013. It just happens to be timely now. And maybe it has gained so much momentum because we want to remember that time. We are all wanting to remember from all sides a time when immigration wasn't a bad word, a time when immigration was all about welcoming, adventure, new frontiers, new possibilities, new identities, a time where being Canadian, totally, like, bring me in. I am ready. Like, I don't care. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to build my family here. I think that's part of why it is, from my understanding, heartwarming to a lot of audiences these days. Missing home is definitely a theme throughout the entire piece. I'd love to talk a little bit about the letters, about mm-hmm. the phone calls yeah. and that connection. For sure. So my mom wrote tons and tons and tons of letters. And that to me is a really special part of the play. It's a quiet part of the play, but so necessary and such a tribute to her and all of the women at the time, because it's so expensive to call the Philippines at the time. If I'm not mistaken, my father told me that it was $1.25 a minute to call the Philippines. And there's also the time difference. It's Mm -hmm. 12, there's a 12 hour time difference. And so that was her lifeline. And she was writing everyone and anyone. I remember feeling some of those letters. Uh, My grandmother also wrote letters like that when she eventually came to Canada in 1984. And they would write on, it was almost like tissue. So they could write as much as possible in these letters. And also in these letters, My mother still has the pictures that she had sent to my father. And like, this is part of our heritage and our family story that the pictures of herself that she sent to the Philippines came back with my father. And, you know, pictures of her and her little straw bag in front of a parking lot with all of these outlets. And her explaining to me that she remembers the picture. She asked somebody to take that picture of her because she didn't understand why Canadians tied up their cars, but to eventually learn that those were where you plugged in the cars so that the engines would start when the weather was freezing. So in terms of missing home, letters and letters and letters and letters, which eventually become these documents of that time. She would not let me read letters for researching the play, by the way. I had asked her and she was like, nope, it's too personal. Really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The most special thing about the letters to me is the part about Emilio and the dirt because that is actually real. Mm. Um, That she had been given dirt because her brother thought that there was only snow in Canada and that she would perhaps miss soil. And I remember... This is where I get emotional. I remember watching that from the balcony 
of Factory and seeing that moment on stage and being hit by the wave that my son will always know, always know that that is on stage is a part of his family that will be read, that will be seen by hundreds of people. Hundreds of people will know how his grandmother came to Canada. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to thank you for giving us such an important story. Oh, I think it uh, it speaks so much to Canada in the 60s, but it also speaks a lot about Canada yeah. right now. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. That was Chris Tolley talking to Mary Beth Badian about her play, Prairie Nurse. Please be sure to check out our back catalogue of plays where you can find everything from hard-hitting dramas to irreverent comedies to thrillers. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode and Play Me as a whole. You can email us at playme at cbc.ca. Special thanks to our CBC producers, Fabiola Melendez-Carletti, Cecil Fernandez, and Tanya Springer. The executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani. The senior director of audio innovation is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. This episode was edited by Chris Tolley. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is produced by Expect Theatre in partnership with CBC Podcasts. For more information on our plays and artists, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.